hunting right now. All right, no, we got a couple back here. All right, and uh, but I started out hunting yesterday, and I went up and I hiked up to a point. Um, I'll just put it this way: I went from about 7,500 feet in elevation to 9,500 feet in elevation, and a little over a mile. It was very steep. Okay, and I got up to the top. I didn't see any elk, but I got a sermon from the Lord. All right. And I thought I already had a sermon. I had another sermon prepared for today. I got up there on top of uh, that mountain, and God did a work in my heart. And I said, God, why in the world did you lead me to go up this mountain? I was sore when I got back down. I got home, and I fell asleep. I went to bed, and uh, I was just a little frustrated. You didn't see anything while I was up there, but God did give me something. And I asked him to give me something when I went up there. Next time, I'm going to be more specific. (laughs) Give me an elk. <laughs> uh, I'll be more specific next time. But uh, I know it's what God wants for us here today. And I'm excited to share this message with you And uh, from the book of Jonah here. I've enjoyed the study in the book of Jonah. It's a story about how a reluctant man meets a relentless God. which re- resulted in a revived people. And it also, as we'll find out in chapter number 4, it resulted in a resentful prophet. And uh, Jonah chapter 4 is an interesting chapter in the Bible. If Jonah's story had ended in chapter 3, we would look back at Jonah as being the greatest prophet in Israel's history. You think about it. He preached a five-word message, and over 120,000 people got saved and turned to the Lord. Why don't we talk more about Jonah I'll tell you why we don't talk more about Jonah, because we know what Jonah was really like. We know that it was Jonah's God who did the great work and not Jonah, amen? Amen. I wish Jonah chapter 4 wasn't in the Bible, because if it wasn't in the Bible, we might look back on Jonah with um, a little bit of a better heart. But Jonah chapter 4 is in the Bible. And I told you when we began this series in the book of Jonah that the story of Jonah's life, the, the, the book of Jonah really isn't so much about a prophecy. All the other prophetic books, their focus is on the prophecy. There's one other book that kind of tells a story, um, and that would be the story of Hosea, but Jonah is really all a story, and yet it's considered a prophetic book. There's only five words, or, or really in English, only seven words of prophecy in the book. Really, the the story of Jonah is more about the prophet than it is about the prophecy. God has a lesson or lessons that he wants us to learn through the story of Jonah's life. Jonah's life was the prophecy. Jonah's life was the message. And uh, it's significant that we understand that as we look at what we're going to look at here today. And so as the story of Jonah continues, I want you to notice with me what number, uh, verse number one of chapter four begins to say, it says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before into Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take away, I beseech thee, my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is out of control here. As you look at the words that we just read that Jonah said here, it's almost like he's sticking his finger up in the face of God and saying, God, why did you do this? This is all your fault, God. Reminds me of the proverb in 
Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, where the Bible says, He that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down without walls. Jonah has no, no rule over his own spirit here. He's uncontrollable. He's out of control. Because of that, he became very susceptible to some wicked emotions, some evil emotions, even in the face of God. In the midst of his frustration, I want you to notice one thing really here this morning. And that is that Jonah exposed something very shocking to me that was lying within his heart. Maybe he didn't even know it was there. But in the midst of his anger and frustration, he revealed that it was there. Look again at verse number 2 with me, if you would, of chapter 4. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. For I, what? Knew. What did he know? I knew thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. He essentially said, God, I knew you were like this. I just knew you were going to do this. You put it in any other context. If someone gets up and says, God is gracious, merciful, long-suffering, kind, and pitiful to people like us, you would think that was a ascription of praise. But somehow Jonah figured out how to make it a reason to complain. God, I can't believe you're good. I can't believe you're merciful. I, I knew you were going to do this. I knew if I went and preached to Nineveh that you were going to save them and you were going to forgive them and you were going to be good to them. Jonah thought he knew what God should be like. You listening to me? He thought he knew what God should be like. And that presented a problem that existed in his heart. What Jonah knew about God was here and not here. It was in his head, but it wasn't in his heart. He knew some facts about God, but he had not accepted those facts by faith yet. To where they had impacted his motives and his day-to-day life. And I wonder this morning, is it possible that your only connection with God today is in your head? Is it possible that you don't really know who God is? You might have grown up going to Sunday school. You might hear about God from a sermon or from a lesson or from a devotional that you read every day. But is it possible that you don't really know who God really is. See, Jonah thought he knew everything about God, but his own sinful motivations had blinded his heart. What he thought he knew about God was here. He never began to understand it here. And I'd say this, most people have nothing more than a head knowledge of God. They have experienced who God really is. They haven't, I should say, experienced who God is on a heart level. To them, their connection to God is based on their religion and not on a relationship. Now, I'm not just talking about salvation here because I believe that Jonah did believe in God and had some measure of faith. And yet, even as a, we could put it this way, saved man, Jonah still had greatly misunderstood the God he claimed to have placed his faith in. 
And you and I could be in the same place as well. Some think that God should be the one who heals their loved one. And so when he doesn't, they get upset with him. God, I thought you were a God that cared. I thought I knew that about you, God. Some people think that God should bail them out of their situation. And so when he doesn't, they want to stick up their finger at God and say, God, I thought I knew that you were a person who provides, but you didn't provide for me. You see what I'm saying? We could become very flawed in our view of God. And that's what's happening to Jonah here. And it can happen for you and I as well. If you really knew God for who he is, you would know that even when he doesn't do things the way you hoped that he would, he is still the same God who is merciful and good and gracious. And even when you can't see it, God's still God. God's still who he's always been and who he's always going to be. And so when you have trouble with who you think God is, you need to turn around and look at yourself. Because the problem isn't with who God is. The problem, with is. the problem is with who you perceive God is. It's with you, not with God. And that's what Jonah was refusing to see in this passage of Scripture here. So when what you know about God only comes from your head, with what you think you understand about God, when what you know about God only comes from your head and not from your heart, and not from a heart of faith, it is going to result in some serious misconceptions in your life. And I want you to see these misconceptions here that Jonah experienced and that you and I are so prone to experience as well. Before we jump into this, I want us to pray. And I want you to pray in your heart as, as I pray out loud and ask God to reveal to you if any of these misconceptions might be present in your life here today. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And Lord, uh, the, the truth is, I wasn't even yesterday morning expecting to uh, preach the text in this way. And yet, this is what you've given for us today. And Lord, I'm thankful, thankful for you giving uh, fresh oil, Lord, to be able to anoint your word, to present to your people. And I just pray, God, that you'd guide my thoughts and my words to speak what you want spoken from your word and not from my opinion. Um, Lord, it's your word that has power. It's your word that is life. And I pray you'd speak life through the power of your spirit taking your word today through what we look at in your word uh, in these moments and these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. How can you have a misconception of God when you only think you know him in your head, you misunderstand him in your heart? The first misconception is this. When you misunderstand who God is, you will first of all be displeased with God. You will be displeased with God. Go back to verse number one with me if you would. The Bible says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. The word displeased, it literally means grieved to him. All right? It caused him to tremble. I can't believe this is happening. That's what was happening to Jonah here. It displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. Jonah was not pleased with what God did in this circumstance. You know why he wasn't pleased with it? Because it wasn't what he wanted. He already had an idea of who God is and how God should work, and God didn't do what he wanted God to do. And so Jonah was grieved. Jonah was displeased. 
Jonah was convinced he knew what God needed to do. Jonah, as we studied earlier in, in this series, he was from a city called Gath-Hefer, which was on the northern coast of Israel. And from his hometown, he very likely had seen um, Assyrian invaders from Nineveh sometimes drop in on the rural villages and towns that surrounded him and maybe even his own village. And he had seen them come in and plunder and destroy and kill and ravage the people of Israel. And so he had a natural antagonism against the people of Assyria and the people of Nineveh. And he, and he just knew that God had sent him to Nineveh to preach a message of destruction and what God needed to do is let Jonah preach the message and 40 days later, wipe them out. And Jonah said, That's, that is what, if you are a God of justice, that is what you should do. This is the kind of God you should be. That is the, 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 the uh, uh, ultimatum that Jonah had given to God in this circumstance right here. Jonah had his own conception of who God is and how God should work. Jonah had it all figured out, in other words. Okay? When God didn't do what he thought God should do, the Bible says that Jonah was displeased. I want you to understand this, because we're going to keep coming back to this. This misconception he had of God, it was based on what he thought he knew about God in his head instead of what he should have understood about God from his heart. Hey, if Jonah would just rewind a little bit, put himself back in the belly of a whale, I, I think he'd probably be glad that God didn't just ultimately give judgment immediately. That God extended mercy. But he wasn't thinking about that. His own human perspective was jaded, and now because he didn't get what he wanted, he had a misconception about God. And that first misconception was that it displeased him what God was doing have you ever been displeased with God? Maybe you are today. You don't have to live in this world very long to see something not pan out the way that you thought that it would. It's going to happen to all of us. Here's an important question. Is it okay if God does His will in His own way in your life? Is it okay if you don't get what you want? Is God still good? Does God still have a good purpose? Well, we know that here, but sometimes in the middle of what we're going through, it's really hard to accept it here. You can get a misconception of God. Can I just say something bluntly to you this morning? God does not exist to please you. God is not some great genie in the sky where anytime you have something you really want, you can say, God, please give this to me, and you can expect Him to give it to you. No, Revelation 4.11, on the contrary, says that we were created for His pleasure. <laughs> and the only way you'll find real pleasure in your life is if you get on board with what He wants. Boy, so easy for us when we don't get what we want to fall prey to this misconception about God. Peter had to learn this the hard way. Peter, the man who in the same chapter of Scripture stood up when Jesus said, Who do people say that I am and who do you think I am? Peter stood up and said, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And boy, it was a great acclamation that he made. And then immediately after he made that acclamation, Jesus began to tell Peter, you're right. I want you to understand I'm about to be taken and captured and falsely accused and crucified on a cross and buried and three days later rise again. And you know what Peter did? Peter said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. I'm never going to let that happen. I want you to see what Jesus said to him. 
right? Um, Luke or Matthew chapter number 16 and verse number 23, after Peter told Jesus, no, I'm not going to let you go to the cross. I'm not going to let that happen to you. This is what Jesus said to Peter. He turned and said to Peter, get you behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Listen to me. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you devil, stop. Stop what you're trying to do. You're not going to stop me from going to the cross. You understand that's what Satan wanted. Now Peter, because he didn't want what God wanted, he wanted what he wanted. He became satanic in his actions. You make no mistake about it, it's a, it is downright satanic to go against the will of God. Even as a child of God. Boy, the Lord tested me on this even this morning. Um, I knew the Lord wanted us to do something this morning, but I just didn't think logistically we could make it happen. And boy, I waited and I waited, and finally I said, all right, I better practice what I'm going to preach. And I got on board with what God wanted to do here this morning. It's so easy to get in that position. And I wonder if in your head you think you know who God is, but in your heart you don't really understand the circumstance you're going through. And as a result, you become displeased with God. God's not giving you what you want. If you want to put it in real terms, that's what's happening. All right? First misconception, you'll be displeased with God when you misunderstand Him. The second misconception is this, you will be discontent with God. Discontent with God. Now, these are closely related, but not identical. Verse number one, again, in your Bibles, the Bible says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. Jonah was not content with what God had done. And more specifically, he was not content with what God did not do. Jonah, Jonah gave the plea, God, the whole reason I ran to Tarshish is so they couldn't get this warning message because I knew you'd probably forgive him and I knew you'd probably save him. The whole reason I tried to run to Tarshish is so that this wouldn't happen. And now, God, you've saved the Ninevites. Now, God, you've allowed all this to happen. And what's going on in Jonah's heart is he's not content with what God did and what God did not do. He didn't judge the Assyrians. You see, Jonah thought Nineveh was going to be destroyed. And he thought that he was going to be the prophet to bring Israel back to her glory days. In Jonah's mind, he was thinking, all right, I'm going to go preach this hard message to these, these murderous people, and God's going to destroy them, and then I'm going to come home to Israel, and when I get home to Israel, all my people are going to look and say, yeah, Jonah, you're the one who uh, preached the destruction of Nineveh, and it came to pass. It's a big deal for a prophet's words to come to pass, by the way. Remember, the consequence for a prophet's prophecy not coming to pass, according to the law, was that he'd be stoned to death. Jonah stands up and preaches, in 40 days, Nineveh's going to be destroyed. And God chooses to forgive them because they repent. Jonah's sitting back there thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've never prophesied something that hasn't happened. His pride was on the line here as well. And so, yes, he was not happy with what God chose to do. Yes, he was discontent with what was taking place. It was not satisfactory to Jonah. He was not content with the lot and life that God had given to him. And his dis discontentment towards God, again I say, was rooted in what Jonah thought about God in his head instead of what he should have known about God in his heart. 
Once again, that connection was, was the source of his misconception. You know what it means to be content? The word content literally means to be satisfied. That's what contentment is. Covetousness says, I don't have enough. But contentment says, I have enough. And spiritually speaking, contentment says, God is enough. What God has given me is enough. I don't need more. I trust that my God is good and my God shall supply all my needs. I have God. I have all that I need. That's the source of spiritual contentment. And contentment, truly, for a human being is only possible when you learn to rest in God's providence. In other words, in what God gives to you. You'll not be content even if you get that thing that you think you want and it will make you happy, it won't. Because you'll never be content until you learn to be thankful and satisfied with what God does choose to give to you in whatever season of life you find yourself in. And Luke chapter number 15, we see this demonstrated in the elder son, the brother of the prodigal son. Have you ever heard of the prodigal son before? Prodigal son's the one that took his inheritance from his father and ran and wasted it all and then he came home in rags and and, 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 and the older son expected when this younger son came back that he was going to face consequences. That's not what happened, is it? The father wrapped his arms around him, gave him a new coat, and uh, killed the fatted calf for him. And all these things happened. And the elder son watched all this happen. He crossed his arms. And the Bible says he was angry. In fact, let me read to you what the Bible says about this. Luke chapter 15 and verse 28. The Bible says, And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve you, and neither transgressed I at any time your commandment. And yet you never gave me the fatted calf or a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured your living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And the father said unto this son, Son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Listen, the elder brother in the story of the prodigal son is almost identical to, to Jonah in the story that we're reading today. And if we be honest, he's almost identical to some of us in here as well. You look at how he responded to this. He got upset. Because God chose to bless someone, he didn't think they deserved it. What that was was discontentment. He wasn't happy with what he had been given. And so when he saw what somebody else got, it provoked that discontentment in his heart. And how prone we are to despise the blessings that God gives to others. You know what's funny to me about this story? Luke chapter 15, and I think it's verse number 31 this is what the father said to the son. He said, son, all that I have is yours. This whole time, if you wanted a fatted calf, you could have had it. If you wanted a celebration, you could have had it. Everything I have is yours. Because he was so focused on what he didn't have, he wasn't, he wasn't realizing all that, God, all, that, all that his father had given to him. And we do that too. When all we know about God is here... We don't understand that we can have a relationship with God and God wants to bless us on a personal level. We can get to a place of being discontent. I wonder if you're discontent today. I promise you, if you are discontent today, it is not because God isn't good and God hasn't blessed you. 
He has given you everything you need and more. You are discontent because you have a misconception of who God is in your heart. What's another misconception? We find the first misconception when you don't really understand who God is, is you'll be displeased with God, you'll be discontent with God, but the third one is this, you'll be disillusioned with God. Disillusioned with God. Verse number two, again, the Bible says, but he prayed unto the Lord and said, it's interesting to me, the first time we see Jonah praying in this book, he's calling out to God for salvation. Now the second time we see him praying, he's calling out to God to take his life, because he's done. All right, verse number two, Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my sin when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled I before unto Tarshish. And notice what it says at the end here. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Jonah was disillusioned with God. He knew God was all these things in his head, but he didn't really yet understand it in his heart. He didn't see how that these things that, that the Bible had told him God was were true not just for him, but were true for all types of people. In other words, it wasn't just for Israel. It was even for wicked people like the Assyrians that God was gracious. He was merciful. He was kind. He was pitiful. All these things that we see described here. You go back to the book of Deuteronomy. We don't have time to do it this morning, but in the book of Deuteronomy, it's the first time that these attributes of God are mentioned on the pages of Scripture. And no doubt, Jonah had memorized the book of Deuteronomy as many, uh, many Old Testament prophets had. And no doubt, he knew these things about God here, but he didn't understand it here. And because of that, he could say that God was something and yet not understand it in his heart. That's what's going on in Jonah's life here. And the interesting thing to me is the same God... That was all these things for Jonah was the same God who was all these things for the Assyrians as well in Nineveh. But Jonah did not want to accept that fact. And uh, I wonder this morning for you, is it possible that you have become disillusioned with God? You think you know who God is? But boy, in your heart, you have become disillusioned. You've become confused about it. You know that He's a gracious, merciful, good, and kind God. But right now, with what you're going through, you can't see how that's true for you in your circumstance. So easy for all of us to get there. And many times when someone gets there, it infuriates them that God blesses others who they feel like don't deserve it. But I've worked hard. I take care of my family. I go to church. I do this. I do that. I deserve you to bless me. Why are you blessing them? Especially if it's someone you consider to be your enemy. That's what was happening to Jonah here. And there's an interesting parable. I don't have time to read it all this morning. But in the book of Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 15, you can write it down and go read it for yourself later. Jesus tells the story, uh, teaches us a spiritual truth, a parable about a, um, the owner of a vineyard. In the beginning of the day, he talks to a group of laborers and says, if you work for me today, I'll pay you a day's wage, which in that day was a penny, um, different than our modern-day penny. He agrees to pay him a day's wage, and they say, well, that's fair, and so they start working for him early in the morning. About mid-morning, he takes on some more people and says, I'll pay you a day's wage. About uh, midday, same thing, offers a, uh, some new men to come work for him and pay him a day's wage. 
Then he calls some people on the last hour of work for the day. He says, if you'll come work for me, I'll pay you a day's wage at the end of the day. And then the end of the day comes and it's time for everybody to get paid. And so they line up from the, from the last who began working for him to the first. The people at the back, they're watching up ahead. And they see that the owner of the vineyard gave a whole day's wage to those people that just worked for an hour. Boy, he began doing this for everybody. When they finally got to the back, those ones that had worked the full day, they got up to the front and they thought, all right, I'm about to get some real money here, okay? Um, we worked all day. They only worked for an hour, and they got a day's wage, and so what are we going to get? They get to the front. He gives them a day's wage. They get mad. Well, that's not fair, they said. We bore the heat of the day. We worked all day. You gave them the same thing that we got. And I want you to see what Jesus said, that vineyard owner said to these men at the end of that. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 15. He said, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is your eye evil because I am good? That's a convicting question. Are you mad because God's good? He's just not being good to you. Now, on a separate side, God is still being good to you. In the middle of your circumstance, you may not feel like it. Is your eye evil? Are you wishing something bad on someone else? That's the idea of evil. Because God's been good to them and he hasn't been good to you. You see how disillusioned we can become? That's what happened to Jonah. That's what happened to these men. And it can so easily happen to you as well. God is good to all people. Not just the ones you think deserve it. Psalm 145 verse 9. God, the Lord is good to all. His tender mercies are over all of His creation. By the way, you better thank God. God is good to all people. Because if He wasn't, you wouldn't be getting anything. You think you're so much better than someone else in your life. You better think again. There's none of us that deserve the mercy of God. There's none of us that deserve the goodness of God. Your misconception of God, what you think you know about God here, you begin to feel it in your heart, hopefully, this morning. You become disillusioned with God. Here's the fourth misconception. We've got to move right along. When you misunderstand God, you will then become distanced from God. Distanced from God. I want you to look down at verse number 5 with me. To Jonah said all these things of verse 5. The Bible says, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow until he might see what would become of the city. After all this happened, Jonah's upset with God, so he marches out of the city, he goes, he goes and sits under a tree, and he doesn't want God around. He doesn't want to listen to God. In fact, God does try to talk to him. And Jonah just shrugs him off. Jonah's like, I don't want to hear from you. You're not who I thought you were. What we see happening in Jonah's heart is he began to distance himself from God. Have you ever wanted to avoid God before? You know what I'm talking about. You're driving down the road, your life is just fine, and a Christian radio a song pulls up and you're like, oh, psh, nope, don't listen to that. You conveniently schedule your week to where you don't have to be in church. You skip the Bible reading. You don't want to be around it. If you've lived any life like I have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
You ever wanted to avoid God at some point in your life? That's what's happening to Jonah here. And You know, when God's just a person you read about in the Bible, but don't really know personally, you'll want to distance yourself from him when he doesn't do what you thought he would do. That's what happens to us as human beings. That's what happened to Jonah. That's what can happen to you as well. And I'll tell you something very succinct about being distant from God. It is not a pleasurable experience to be distant from God. Psalm chapter 32 and verses 3 and 4, David described his state when he was distant from the Lord. He said, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah, not a very fun experience. You don't want to live in that place. It may be your misconception of God that has brought you to a a position in your life where you're living in that kind of place. Yet I'm so thankful that even when we try to distance ourselves from God because we misunderstand what He's doing, God is so good to keep talking to us. Just like He kept pursuing Jonah, who ran, threw himself off a ship. God pursued Jonah to the belly of a whale on the bottom of the sea. God does it for you and I, and He didn't stop pursuing Jonah here either. After Jonah gets upset with him, look at verse 4. The Bible says, Then said the Lord to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? Comes back in verse 9, And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? Jonah's just mad about everything. He doesn't want to listen to God. Yet there's a voice of God still speaking into his life. I'm so glad that even when we want to distance ourselves from him, God's still there to keep speaking into our lives. And friend, the best thing you can do is choose to come, back to come back to the Lord. Stop distancing yourself from Him. You may not understand what He's doing, but you know who He is here. It's time you start believing it here. Now what did Jonah say about God? Because before we end here today, we need to understand what's the answer. We can know what the problem is, but what's the answer? What's the solution? We can know that we have a misconception in our heart about God, but what are we supposed to do about it? Well, I propose to you, based on what we're studying from the Scripture here today, that what you need to do is to see God again for who He really is. See, Jonah said some things about God that he didn't really believe. Because if he had believed Him, he wouldn't be having the attitude that he had. What did he say in verse number 2 at the end of the verse? This is what he said. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repents, repentest thee of um, the evil. I tell you, regardless of what your head is telling you, if you would choose to believe what God's word says about him in your heart, it would change your perception of your circumstance that you're going through. Jonah said, I knew you were gracious. That's a Hebrew word uh, that literally means that you're favorable. You give favor to people. You're benevolent. That's what he's talking about here. God gives unmerited favor to those who are in desperate need of it. By the way, if you want to understand who God is, you need to go no further than the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ puts on display all these wonderful attributes of God There at the cross we see a God of grace who became flesh to die for our sins. 
The Bible says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, could be made rich. God left heaven, came to earth to die for your sins, so that when you leave this earth, you could go to heaven. That's grace. You don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. I'm glad God's a gracious God. Not only is He gracious, but Jonah said, you're merciful. You're a merciful God. It's, a, it's not the typical word used for mercy in the Old Testament. It's rachum, and it speaks of God being a compassionate God. He cares. It speaks of the, the carefulness of God. He is, he, is, he is a God that is compassionate to sinful people. His mercy allows Him to overlook our sins and to treat us better than we deserve. Now here's the interesting thing, and I don't have long to park on this. God's also a God of justice. So in His mercy, He overlooks our sin for a time. But sin must be judged eventually. How could God overlook our sins for a time? Because God knew the cross was coming. And on the cross, Jesus Christ was punished for your sin and for mine and for Jonah's sin and the people of Assyria's sins as well. Jesus Christ was punished there. God puts up with our sinfulness because He had the full intention of punishing our sinfulness in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm glad God cares enough to die for my sin. He's a God of mercy. What's the next thing Jonah said? He said He is... Um, slow to anger. Slow to anger. That means he's long-suffering. That word slow to anger, it means that he's, he's patient um, uh, with us in, in, in our things that anger him. God doesn't get easily upset. You get easily upset? All right? Some of you struggle with anger. I'm glad God's not that way. All right? There have been, there have been times when I just get frustrated with my own children. And I'm glad that God doesn't treat me the way I treat my own children sometimes. I'm not proud of that. But God is a patient God. God is a loving, kind God. Um, he is a long-suffering God. And it is God's long-suffering with our selfish ways that gives us the opportunity to repent and be restored. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9 that He is long-suffering with us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hey, do you despise the goodness and forbearance of God? Romans 2 says not knowing that the goodness of God is what leads you to repentance? It's because God doesn't immediately judge. It's because God does withhold ju judgment. It's because God does show us mercy. He is long-suffering. He puts up with our sinfulness. It's because of that that we have the opportunity to be saved. I'm thankful we have such a God. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. The fourth thing that Jonah said about him is that he is abundant in kindness. Um, what it says in the verse there is that he is of great kindness. That means he's abundant in goodness. God is better to us than we deserve. We like to get prideful and selfish and think we deserve more. We don't. And I promise you, I don't care what your circumstance in life is today. God has been a whole lot better to you than you deserve. He's a loving, kind God. Fifth thing he says there in verse 5 is that God is a God who repents of the evil. The repentist is a Hebrew word that literally means to suffer grief. And what it's giving the idea of there is that God is a pitiful God. In other words, He shows pity to the likes of you and me. 
I, I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 103 and verse 13, like a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. God puts up with us, doesn't he? He's a very pitiful God. We fail him, we fall time after time after time, and yet he's always there to receive us back. He's always there to pick us back up and dust us off every single time. I thank God he's a pitiful God. Puts up with people like you and me. You see, if Jonah had just gone back and think about what he'd said from his head and let that truth hit him in his heart, it would have changed his whole perspective. God, I'm glad you're pitiful to Assyria because you've also been pitiful to me. I'm glad you're merciful to Assyria because you've also been merciful to me. Every time you get a misconception about God, it's because you forgot who He really is. And I say to you this morning, this is why it is so important that we take time as the church to go back to the cross. Because I told you, hey, the cross was the greatest display of who God is to us in this world today. At the cross, we see all those attributes of God that we just, took, that just talked about on display. And if you're struggling with God and what God's doing in your life today, you need, no, need, need go no further than back to the cross to remember how much God really does love you and how good God really has been to you in spite of whatever circumstance you're going to. So we're going to take some time to go back to the cross here today. And this is uh, what I struggled with with the Lord this morning, even. But I know that God wants us to take some time to have a Lord's Supper here this morning. And so I, I, even as I'm talking, I'd like to ask the men to help me start getting that ready at this time. We're going to have um, a time of prayer before we serve this supper. But listen to me. I don't want you to get distracted by the fact that they're preparing it and miss the point of the sermon. Jonah said, God, I knew you. But did he really know God? No. Is it possible what you think you know about God here contradicts with what God's word really says about himself and what you should believe about God here? Is God still good? Is God still gracious? Is God still merciful? Is God still long-suffering? Is God still pitiful for people like you and me? Yes! Whatever circumstance you're going through, don't forget who God really is. And so today, maybe you have fallen prey to some of these misconceptions, and if that is the case, I want to give you the opportunity to come to the Lord and tell Him, Lord, I've been living like you don't care. I've been living like you're not still good. I've been living like you're not being fair to me, you're not being kind to me. God, I know who you are, and though I don't understand what you're doing, I'm still going to trust you. Wouldn't that be a good thing for you to do today? If you're struggling with this this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.